0: This is the Short-Term Parking Podcast, and I am Jack Prebeck, and we are all just passing through. Got a quote here. Tradition means giving votes to the most obscure of all classes, our ancestors. It is the democracy of the dead. Tradition refuses to submit to the small and arrogant oligarchy. Of those who merely happen to be walking about. And that is from G.K. Chesterton. I love the phrase, the democracy of the dead. A few years ago I got into, uh, it was probably 12, 10, 12 years ago now, I got into, uh, reading a lot of, uh, Turn of the 19th, 20th century literature because it was free on uh, Amazon. You could get files and read them for free on your computer. And I read a lot of G.K. Chesterton stuff. And uh, I have kind of mixed feelings about it. Some of it's pretty good, some of it not so great. But that's not what this is about. We're talking about tradition and uh, giving that power over to the democracy of the dead. One of the things I've been thinking about for quite a while is with all of the information, particularly music at our disposal, for practically free, we can listen to anything that we want to. People are very reluctant To seek out new music. To listen to new music. And of course not everybody. But a lot of people. Maybe most people. Do not make it a habit. Of looking for new music. They want to listen to what they're familiar with. I on the other hand. Revel in it. I've been. As I've mentioned on other podcasts. Doing these playlists on Spotify and really digging into Spotify. The playlists are called filters off, by the way. If you just do a search on Spotify, you can find, I've done 35 of them now in the morning. I have my first cup of coffee and I get on Spotify and I, I may think of a song that's familiar or something I really like that I haven't listened to for a long time, but what I've been getting into more and more is finding new music and opening myself up to new artists, new approaches, and I'm just blown away by how much good new stuff is out there. As a matter of fact, on these playlists, like I said, I've done 35 and there's only two, maybe three times where I've repeated artists on these different playlists. So at 35, roughly 10 songs per list, 40 to 50 minutes outside, I haven't been using the same artists over and over again. It's been new folks every day. And I say this next thing with all sincerity. It brings me joy, little bits of joy every time I find a new thing that I knew nothing about. And I enjoy listening to it. I do my workout to these lists. And then later on during the day, I usually play the same playlist again a second time. And sometimes I find myself stopping myself in my tracks and going and listening to something with a, a lot of attention put to it because it's just really good. And that, and that truly brings me some happiness. And it's hard for me to understand that other people aren't like that. But I don't like to watch a movie twice or the same episode of a TV show twice. It drives me a little bit nuts. And I know there are people that will watch the same movie over and over again. That's why I never really felt jazzed up about having a collection of movies. Usually I want to watch them once, but I'm not that way with music. I'll listen to it uh, again and again, but it's hard to do that with so much good stuff out there. And I realize that. However, a lot of people just want to go for familiarity, for tradition, and the other day I read an article, it was in Pitchfork, and it's a couple months old, and it is titled Why Do We Even Listen to New Music? And in it, there's some analysis about how the brain fires off dopamine when we listen to music, and if we've, we're familiar with it, the receptors receive that dopamine, and if we're not familiar with it, the brain's firing out all this dopamine, and we're not receiving it properly, and going a little bit crazy. Or something like that. I don't know. It doesn't really delve too much into the hard science of this claim. But basically, it's trying to explain in layman terms that uh, something that we already knew. People prefer music that they're familiar with. And I can say, you know over many, many years of playing live gigs, in almost, in in actually every situation, you know, the performer relies at least a little bit on giving the audience something they're familiar with, something they can hang on to. You'd be hard-pressed to go to very many shows where somebody is doing all brand-new original music That hasn't been heard before. It's not. uh, Impossible to find that. But generally a performer. Is going to use that. That device. Of familiarity. In order to. Hook the audience. And one of the things I've noticed. Is that. Folks that build up an audience online. On a. YouTube, or Instagram, or the various social platforms. People that build an audience quickly. The quickest way to go about it is to do cover versions of songs. And uh, you'll get people's attention. You'll get views, listens. And some people avoid it for different reasons, they don't want to, uh, if they're monetizing something, they don't want to give the money to somebody else, the advertising revenue, or they don't want to get blocked. You know, this brings up something I haven't thought about in a while. Back in the day, when uh, people would uh, scrape up enough money to go cut a little record, release something on vinyl, or even CD tape, whatever go into a recording studio. It was still a situation where the quickest way to get some recognition for it was to, you know, to record a cover song. But the problem was to do that legally, you would have to pay up front in order to, uh, license the song. You would go to a outfit called the Harry Fox agency. And it's odd that this one company, had the monopoly on this business, the Harry Fox Agency. I'm sure they're still in business. I haven't dealt with them in 15 years or so. But when you cut a record, you would report how many copies of it you were printing to the Harry Fox Agency. And then you would send them the physical royalty for each copy that you were printing it wasn't a huge amount of money a bookkeeping nightmare more than anything else so if you were printing 500 or 1000 copies of something you would have to send a bit of cash up front not a whole lot I think it was 8 cents per copy at the time something like that so if you did a whole album 10 or 12 songs that was all Uh, cover versions, you know, it would add up to a a fairly decent little sum. So a lot of people avoided doing that or they just cut cover songs and didn't, didn't license them legally. I knew a lot of people that did that actually. But for me, I just always uh, tried to avoid cutting a record with a cover song on it. If I could, just because I was the one doing the bookkeeping at the time and it was a bit of a hassle so the idea of playing live and doing a cover song i never had a problem with that that's pretty much what you do but uh, i've always avoided the notion of cutting a cover song and it's always odd to me when somebody uh, their first inclination is i want to uh, publish a cover version of a song. But the evidence will show you if you want to build up followers, that's the way to go. People crave that familiarity, that tradition. But is it really a situation where people? actively dislike hearing something new and i am sure that's possible with a lot of people it is interesting though that one of the most successful and popular things on youtube are what they call these reaction videos and what makes them fun to watch is seeing somebody listening to music that they've never heard before and the people that are successful doing these reaction videos really seem to be enjoying hearing music for the first time and as i'm recording this today this is several days after one of these went really viral it was these two young guys listening to uh, Phil Collins song in the air tonight and the story is that this video was so popular that it brought a renewed attention to the song and the song charted at number one again on one of the various charts and everybody's watched the video and of course the hook is, you know these guys have never heard it before. And you're waiting for that big drum fill. So, the viewer is familiar with the song. That's what makes these things tick. But you're waiting to see what happens during this section. And those guys, you know, they it pays off. It's sort of like uh, how... Poker was never, watching professional poker players was never successful on TV until they had the technology to show you what each player had in their hand. So then you knew, you know, there was a showdown coming up or not, or who was bluffing or not. But what I'm getting at here is it's very uh, pleasing to see people enjoying music for the first time. So you know that there are folks out there that really do like that, that really do find a joy in hearing something like that for the first time. It may be a subset, but, and it may be something that we've lost along the way a little bit. Maybe we listen to music differently. You hear that a lot. You hear, you know, people talking, waxing about the old days when they sat on the couch and they had the really cool stereo, the hi-fi set, and they sat on the couch and maybe, maybe rolled up a fat joint, and a lot of guys used to have the uh, specific record jacket they used for rolling joints on usually something that didn't have a lot of uh, trees or other greenery on it because you didn't want your leaf to get lost in the album cover art you'd sit back with those huge speakers and that big tube amplifier and uh, you'd have an immersive listening experience and there are people that pine for the old days and they'll say well you know people don't listen to music like that anymore it's all just background music people don't appreciate music the way they used to and i don't think that's entirely true because it has changed once again and the way people are listening to music today is different than what they were doing five years ago. And it just, uh, really dawned on me in the last couple of days because I've been using a set of AirPods. I've been walking around the house and listening to a few things. And then it, you know, I realized that a lot of these guys on YouTube, when they're listening to music, they're listening to headphones or pods and that that is how a lot of people listen to music now so they're not necessarily sitting on the couch and getting the community experience of listening to music together but they are having a lot of times a very immersive experience in listening to listening to music in a solitary way and so it's evolving and of course You know, headphones are nothing new. We used to say on any record, you want to put something, uh, some little thing in there like a stereo pan, you know, put something in there for the headphone crowd. But now there are probably more people listening with headphones or earbuds than there were ever before. And so I speculate that there are a lot of people out there that are wanting to have that first time experience, which is to me, akin to sitting in a movie theater and seeing that image for the first time, hearing something on headphones that seems almost three dimensional for the first time. You can never quite duplicate that feeling. But you know, not everybody is a geezer, such as myself. And the fact is, there is many lifetimes, probably worth of listening time of really good music already available. So somebody could start now and not necessarily need to hear newly released, newly created stuff. There's a whole bunch of stuff that would be new to them. There's a company in the news lately called Hypnosis, H-I-P-G-N-O-S-I-S. And they are a publishing company with a twist. Actually, it is called the Hypnosis Song Fund. They are an equity fund. They raise money from investors and buy existing music catalogs. They buy the rights. And so when something would get played on the radio or a physical copy sold or streamed, the money, the royalties would go to this hypnosis outfit and they would distribute to their investors the profits. And that's what's different about this outfit than uh, what traditionally the big player was Sony, who years ago started going around trying to buy up all the publishing rights to catalogs. Cause what happens a lot of times is artists, writers, as they advance in age, see a, the wisdom in a windfall payment rather than royalties that, uh, they're never going to be able to spend. Can't take it with you. And a lot of them have also, falling on uh, hard times possibly where a one-time sum would be beneficial rather than a little bit of money trickling in every six months or what have you. Anyway, this uh, hypnosis has raised close to a billion dollars from investors and they're buying up current catalogs and what they call legacy catalogs left and right. And the big news was last week they presumably worked a deal with uh, Barry Manilow to own the Barry Manilow the vast catalog of songs that Barry Manilow has written. And the other thing that's different about this is this uh, company Hypnosis has said publicly that the reason they're moving in this direction is they really see the value in future streaming income. And of course, what you hear most of the time is that streaming income is very low to, uh, you know, the artists and writers. If your song gets streamed, you get, you know, uh, depending on a platform, fractions of fractions of a penny. But if you are dealing in bulk and you're getting the fractions of the fractions of pennies on hundreds, thousands of songs that are being listened to by millions of people every day, then it adds up, right? But one thing that these folks are betting on is that people will continue to listen to these old songs. These songs that have been around that are in the material of the cortex of the mass audience. The ones that'll fire up those neuroreceptors when they hear them and they can uh, pick up on that dopamine. And at the same time, the publishing company That owns the rights to these songs. It is in their best interest to continue to promote the same old songs. So you'll probably see more Barry Manilow songs popping up in movies and commercial advertisement. Keep that uh, familiarity factor high. But as I said, these guys are also buying... New catalogs as well. So they're hedging their bets on that. But the point is those golden oldies, those classic rock songs are going to be around. They're not going away anytime soon. But as I said, you know, with this uh, new audience of people who are having the immersive listening experience things are bound to evolve in ways that people cannot totally foresee it's interesting to think about you know the history of uh, song promotion the original business of music publishing was sheet music that's why it's called publishing but when people started making records, they still called the rights owners the publishers. And when they were first making records, discs, there was a time limit that they could cut on one side of a, a 78 RPM disc. And that's why song length became you know, under the three minutes and 30 seconds because they couldn't cut any longer than that. So, you know, previous to that, songs could go on and on as long as anybody wanted to sing or play them or as long as anybody wanted to listen. And if you think about lengthy music performances, classical music that was written before Records were being made, those uh, pieces could go on for hours. But when they started making records, they had to limit it. And consequently, even when that limitation was no longer there, when the 33, the LP, came out, and they could you know, actually record a 20 minute song if they wanted to, radio wasn't going to play it because radio had been programmed in these little two minute, three minute, one minute 45 segments. That was the format and they stuck with it. And really it stayed that way until FM was developed and that was started to become a a popular radio format in the late 60s, early 70s, I don't know, sometime around then. And what happened was a lot of the radio stations on the FM dial would play longer songs because it wasn't as popular and therefore they didn't have their uh, commercial overlords bearing down on them and saying, stick with this format. And what happened was there was also at the same time, a lot of people engaging in this immersive listening experience. Once again, and FM stations would play a four minute, five minute seven minute sometimes even a half of an album, a whole album side at once. And at the same time, there were bands putting out records with longer songs. A lot of progressive rock bands would do a suite of songs that would take up a whole album side. So I don't know, you know, chicken egg scenario possibly, but there were people that were having this immersive experience. And that changed the, the song business, at least for a little bit, you know, uh, it's kind of odd that when, uh, this whole corporate radio thing started in the nineties, when they put a limit on, uh, the private ownership of stations, when, All the radio stations basically in the country went with, uh, ended up being swallowed up by two large corporations. You know, the long songs on these rock stations stopped. They weren't doing that anymore. But at the same time, talk radio started becoming more popular than music on the radio. So actually a long form presentation that could be broken up into the same size segments as what the traditional hit radio stations were doing. In other words, something like the Rush Limbaugh show, you know, they would go uh, seven or nine minutes between commercial breaks and the same amount of time it would take for a uh, top 40 radio format to play or a classic rock format to play two or three songs but now the podcast has become hugely popular and so people like the long form in a lot of cases uninterrupted and of course radio is taking a back seat to streaming And one of the reasons is once again, this idea of the immersive experience, and that's why people enjoy the long, the long form podcast. So who knows with a generation being brought up now on uh, headphones and AirPods, maybe the long form music experience will become the new thing. Because streaming streaming doesn't care if it's a two-minute song. I say that, but uh, actually, I guess it's been a trend for a little while. A lot of people are releasing really short songs because it gets counted as a play on Spotify if the listener doesn't change it within 30 seconds. So you need to get that 30 seconds in there, and there for a little while. At least people were releasing 45-second songs to try and game the system, but it's not like radio where the program director is not going to allow you to play a 13 minute song, even though the listener may enjoy it. And what I see, you know, from my deep dive into uh, Spotify is there are a lot of people that are not uh, playing into the confines, the strictures of the classic three minute song. And I think that's a great thing. I think a, piece of music should be as long as a piece of music is supposed to be and uh, that's where I'm going to conclude on this subject for today and as always I'm going to leave you with some music and uh, this week I've got the song from my album Trespass the song is called Postcards from an Abandoned Motor Court and possibly ironically, it is uh, well under the three minute mark. So, a short little jazzy tune for you. And I thank you for tuning in, those of you that have been checking it out, and those of you that have uh, looked for me on Instagram and YouTube. A hearty and a heartfelt thank you. And here is postcard from an abandoned motor court.